Let me ask the rest of you to open your Bibles. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning in our, uh, our series on our Good Shepherd. We're taking a look at the different ways that God shepherds us, specifically in giving us Jesus. Um, but more than just having that vertical uh, connection, we're shepherded directly through Jesus. He also is pleased. It's His will. It's His wisdom. It's His gift uh, to shepherd us indirectly as well through, uh, through human people, uh, through people in our lives who lead us. And those can be uh, officially as officers in the church. They can be unofficially as just uh, wiser, older men and women who have kind of gone around um, the track a couple of times ahead of us, and we're learning from them and growing uh, because of their influence in our lives. So if you found your place in Ephesians 4, let's stand in honor of God's Word. I'm going to read verses 11 <clears throat> through 16. This is the Word of the Lord. And He gave apostles... He gave the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the full stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me pray for us. Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. Thank You for how it teaches us and instructs us. It shows us an accurate picture of who You are and Your heart and Your will. Um, Thank You also that it shows us Jesus, our Good Shepherd. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So as you... Here, these verses, it's a continuation of the a few verses we were looking at last week, how God gave uh, different gifts to the church, and specifically, He gives leadership to the church uh, to equip the church to, to minister, uh, to equip the church for ministry. Uh, you'll also see that uh, those leaders are given to the church to equip the church to be able to mature. And thirdly, we're going to look at how God gives uh, the gifts of, of different leaders through the church, uh, so the church will grow. And uh, we're going to be looking at ministry, maturity, and, and growth. So in verse 11, uh, we see those different leadership offices. In, in, a, in a formal sense, there are the offices of apostle and prophet, evangelist, uh, shepherds, and teachers, right? And uh, these, are, these are gifts. These are blessings to the church. Uh, some of these offices we understand were unique uh, to the apostolic age. You know, those who were directly related to Jesus, he brought them in as his inner circle. They were giving new revelation. They wrote the New Testament, and when the New Testament canon was closed, those offices weren't needed anymore. But we still need shepherds and teachers. 
Uh, we still need those who are going to um, pastor the church, who are going to teach the church. Uh, some wonder, are these two offices? Are there's the office of pastor and then there is this other office of teacher? Uh, there's, there's actually uh, reason to believe that, you know, original language and lack of definite article, etc., uh, that this is one office, uh, it's a shepherd teacher, it's a pastor teacher. And in the PCA, we do have a distinction among our elders. Uh, there's one office, the, the elder, uh, with, with two classes, so to speak, two classifications. So Kyle and I are, are teaching elders. Um, and this goes back through sort of the tradition of Presbyterian polity. There's, there's teaching elders, and uh, we've gone to seminary, and we've been called a full-time pastoral ministry. And then there are the ruling elders, and these are uh, men in churches who have primary callings you know, in the marketplace or outside the church, but their secondary calling is to help pastor, uh, to help rule and lead a local congregations. So you've got teaching elders and, uh, and ruling elders. Those, are, those would be the, the, a reflection of that, um, that's, uh, that category there at the end of verse 11. There's shepherds and teachers, and then there's ruling elders as well. Um, in addition, these leaders are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Uh, and that word ministry is kind of important because that's the word that we get our English word for deacon, uh, the office of deacon from. And uh, one translation, New American Standard, uh, instead of saying work of ministry, calls it the work of service. Uh, so you get the idea here that, uh, that even though deacons are not uh, specified here in this list of formal offices, uh, I think it's appropriate to... Uh, to include their office here as well to understand that God gives them as a gift to us to equip us for ministry, to equip us for service, to equip us for deaconing. Um, he gives us uh, not only elders but also, also deacons. And last week, if you have uh, Ephesians 4 open, you can look at verse 7. You know, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, right? So we're talking about Jesus giving gifts like good gifts to the church. And I don't know if you've paused to think about the role of, of leadership in your life and the role of leadership in the church, but it really is a gift. And we looked at that in, uh, more, more intensely last week. I just want to remind you, or if you weren't here last week, don't, don't look at leadership as optional. What would a church be without leadership? Um, there's going to be leaders in the church. I mean, it's just by default. There's going to be leadership in any group of people. They're either going to be formally recognized or they're going to be informally leading. Uh, one way or another, there's going to be leadership. So God blesses local churches with the gift of, of godly ordained leaders, um, elders and deacons, who, as Jeremiah 3 reminded us, you know, God says, I will give you, I will bless you with shepherds after my own heart uh, to equip the saints, right, for the work of ministry, uh, for the building up of the body of Christ. You see that in verse 12? I want you to really look at, at verse 12 because there's something very, very important there. There was a Bible translation in 1946, the Revised Standard Version, that looked at verse 12 and said, all right, we think there's something going on there that necessitates a comma in between the word saints and the word for. Can, can you look at verse 12 and imagine a comma 
in between the word saints and the, words, and the word forth. So it would read, to equip the saints, comma, for the work of ministry, comma, where we do have a comma in the ESV, for the building up of the body of Christ. That comma in 1946 was a disaster in Bible translation. Bible translators make mistakes from time to time. And, and they also have to update uh, translations because language usage uh, changes and so on. But this was called the fatal comma among theologians and commentators and pastors and scholars. That comma in between saints and four was, was not legitimate. Um, let me tell you what I mean. There was a book in 2004, maybe like if, if, you're, um, if you love English, if you were an English major or something maybe in college or you loved your literature class in high school, uh, maybe you remember a book in 2004 called Eats, Shoots, and Leaves, right? It's a book by Lynn Truss. It's a New York Times bestseller, and it was about the importance of, of grammar. Eats, Shoots, and Leaves, right? So um, let me, the, the, the book goes like this. Lynn, Lynn Truss gives this example. A panda, panda walks into a bar. He orders a sandwich, eats it, then draws a gun and fires two shots into the air. Why? Why, why are you behaving in this strange, unpanda-like fashion? Asks the confused waiter as the panda walks toward the exit. And the panda produces a badly punctuated wildlife manual and tosses it over his shoulder. I'm a panda, he says at the door. Look it up. So the waiter, you know, turns to the relevant entry and sure enough finds the explanation for this panda's bizarre behavior. Quote, panda, large, black and white, bear-like mammal native to China's bamboo forests, eats, comma, shoots and leaves. It's a fatal comma. Comma should not be there. Each shoots and leaves. No comma. Each bamboo shoots, bamboo leaves. Does not fire any weapons. Doesn't leave you know patrons and customers confused about its behavior. This was a, a, a fatal comma. And in 1971, the RSV revised its translation to read the way that our ESV uh, translation reads. Why? What, what's the problem with that comma? If that comma is, is, is valid, if there should be a comma in between saints and four, what do you have? What's the result? You get God giving leaders to the church to equip the saints, one. The leaders are to do the work of ministry, two. And third, they're to build up the body of Christ, right? So that's what the leaders are supposed to do according to that fatal comma, not the members. The leaders are supposed to do the work of ministry instead of the members, if you have that comma. Take away that comma, guess what happens? It's the leader's job to equip the saints to do the ministry. To equip the saints for ministry, ultimately so that you know, the leaders and the members together are building up the body of Christ. And that actually is the, 
the proper way to understand verse 12. Because every member is a minister. God gives ministry to every single disciple. Every member of His body is designed and intended and called to be a minister. So when you think about leadership, God gives leadership to the church and every leader is called to equip every member uh, for ministry. This is what um, came to be known 500 years ago as the priesthood of believers. Where ev- where it would be the, or another way to say it would be the ministry of every member. So you know, 500 years ago, our fathers and mothers experienced a revival that was really unprecedented. Like You'd have to maybe turn all the way back to Acts chapter 2 to see something similar on scale. Um, and what was going on is that people were going back to the Bible, rediscovering the truths of the gospel, beautiful, wonderful truths about how we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And and so this week, we, we celebrate the anniversary of October 31st, 1517. A young monk, um, aspiring uh, in his career, right? Uh, he starts off the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. It was the spark that lit the flame when he uh, posted those 95 theses to the, the door of the Castle Church at Wittenberg. He just wanted to debate other pastors about, hey, can we talk about the nature of true biblical repentance and that, that was just wildfire. And it was, it was so big that they didn't call it the Protestant revival. They called it the Protestant Reformation. And part of the truths, you know, in addition to Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, God alone gets the glory, Scripture alone is our authority, in addition to those truths was the truth that every member has a ministry, that the priesthood, that the, the ministry isn't reserved just for the priests. But ministry is, is, is the... Uh, the responsibility of every single disciple of Jesus. Um, so that when you see, for instance, in our, the back of our bulletin, you see you've got uh, the, the, the ministry staff listed, and then you see the elders, you know, and then you've got the deacons, and then who are the ministers? Every member. That's you guys. That's, a, that's an expression of what we mean by the priesthood of believers, that every member is is a minister here. Listen to how John Piper describes it in his book, Future Grace. He says that according to the New Testament, ministry is what all Christians do. According to Ephesians 4, pastors have the job of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. But ordinary Christians are the ones who do the ministry. What ministry looks like is as varied as Christians are varied. It's not an office like elder or deacon. It's a lifestyle devoted to making much of Christ and meeting the needs of others. So we really want to make sure that everybody gets that. Every member is a minister. That's God's call. It's His plan. It's His intention. And, uh, and so the leaders are God's gift to the church to help the church do ministry. Plus, uh, we see in verse 14 that God gives leaders to the church to help mature the members, right? So that in verse 14, it says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, right? So that we wouldn't stay immature, but instead that we would grow up. Um, While you've got your bulletins out, we're looking at the back, now look at the front. Um, you know, we, we, love, we love babies, right? 
we love cute babies. Cute baby, furry, fluffy babies. Like this little baby lamb who's the artist was uh, Mary Iceland and her title for this little guy is little dandelion. Oh my gosh, is he cute. Look how fluffy and colorful. The light hitting that fur just right and the lanolin glistening and, and so on. Oh my goodness. We love babies. We love their big eyes, their big noses, and their big heads. But we love them to a point, don't we? We love them until they, you know, we just get tired of changing their diapers. And we get tired of their, their fussiness. And we get tired of them, you know, not being able to clean up after themselves. And we get tired of them just being so stinking dependent on us all the time. Good grief. Well, I mean, babies are cute, but babies aren't supposed to stay babies. There's something wrong if that baby doesn't gain weight. There's something wrong if that baby stop, does, isn't able to be, begin to walk. That, there's something wrong if that baby doesn't start to talk. And there's even a, a condition called failure to thrive. Right? That, like, that's not right. That's alarming. Babies are cute, but they're not supposed to stay babies. We're not supposed to stay immature. We call it failure to thrive. Or, you know, another, another scenario maybe is we, if, if the baby does grow up, it's not a problem of failure to thrive, but maybe it's just a failure to launch. You know, uh, think of the 29-year-old guy living in his parents' basement. His permanent outfit is his Pikachu PJs, and his fingers are permanently stained orange from Cheetos. And he just he hasn't slept or bathed in two days because he's just been having this nonstop you know, um, game of Fortnite. Anyway, it's just it's bad. Um, it, Failure to thrive, failure to launch, regardless, we're, we're designed to mature. Uh, God intends for us to grow up, and God gives us leaders to help us do that. What does maturity look like? We get a picture um, of maturity in verse 15, speaking the truth in love, right? So if you're immature, you don't have truth and love going on in your life. Immaturity is somebody that doesn't know what, what's true. This person doesn't have any convictions. And, you know, we're surrounded, we're in, a, we're in a culture that is grossly immature. It doesn't have any convictions. It doesn't think anything is black. It doesn't think anything is white. Everything is just a shade of gray. Everything is relevant, uh, relative, and what's, whatever works for you is fine. And that's a terrible immaturity on behalf of our culture. Plus, our culture doesn't know what love is like. It doesn't have any real community. Every relationship seems to be broken. Every relationship is temporary. And faithfulness and lifelong bonds are endangered. That's what immaturity looks like. And the gospel brings maturity to immature people uh, through the agency and the equipping uh, of leaders. We're not supposed to stay immature and helpless. We're supposed to grow up. And good parents know this, good leaders know this. We're supposed to help, you know, those who are, people move from immaturity to maturity. We're supposed to help people move from being ill-equipped to being equipped. We're supposed to help our kids move out and launch out and commission them into the world so that when they become of age, they go and they are blessings to their neighbors and to the nations. We don't hold on to them. We don't want to keep them in the basement playing Fortnite. We want them to go out. We want them to represent Jesus. We want the congregations to be the same. We want members to be mature. 
so that when you leave these doors after the benediction, you go out as missionaries. You go out strong in your faith, strong with your convictions, strong in love so that our neighbors and the nations understand what the gospel is. So how can we reach maturity? Well, verse 15 talks about the role of speaking the truth in love. Literally, the phrase is truthing in love. You know, truth is an adverb. Um, where we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. So we've got this goal. Maturity means growing up into Jesus. And we're the body and He's the head. And this happens as we receive the truth in love. So the way that we can mature is to hear God speaking the truth in love to us in the Gospel. That's the first way. God tells us the truth in love in the Gospel. So the Gospel does two things. It tells us the truth about our need for Jesus, right? Uh, the, the Gospel is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's, it's not true because it's just philosophically true. It's true because it's factually true. It's true because it's historically true. It's true because it happened. It's news because of that. It's not news because, well, I think this and you think that. No, this is, this is truth because it's not only eternally true, but it's factually true, historically true. And that Jesus Christ came and He lived our life and experienced our pain, experienced our brokenness, and went to a cross as a substitute and as a sacrifice for sinners. To take our sin upon Himself. To bear that weight. To bear that curse. To bear that judgment. And to remove it from us who put our faith in Jesus. Who say, there goes my substitute. There goes the Lamb of God who takes away my sin. And in exchange, He gives us His goodness. He gives us His obedient record. He gives us His righteousness in Him. And He gives us this eternal inheritance. All of that is credited to us, not because of what we've earned. No, it was what Jesus earned in our place. So He, he takes our punishment and then He gives us His goodness. And that's how the Father sees us, by faith. We're trusting in Him. We're positionally in Him, under Him, and He covers us. And that's the truth of the gospel. The, the cross actually tells us the truth about our condition, about our, our sinful condition, that, that our sin is so severe, it's so sobering that it actually takes the Son of God to stand in our place to remedy that situation. I can't do that for myself. You can't do that for yourself. Someone has to do that for us. We need a Savior. We need somebody else, somebody external to us. Because in, in, left to myself, I'm lost. Left to yourself, you're lost. Somebody has to move in, step into the scene, and rescue us. That's the truth of the Gospel. And it's the love of the Gospel. Now, Jesus didn't Go and stand in our place and go to that cross begrudgingly. He didn't do it under duress. He did it willingly. Hebrews even tells us that it was for the joy set before Him that He endured the cross. 
And we know, you know how Paul received that. It was, he loved me, and he gave himself for me. So you see this remarkable combination of truth and love in the gospel. And that our leaders, God gives leaders to the church to keep that gospel clear. And woe to the leaders who muddy it and who leave that gospel and who reject Jesus and what He did for us on the cross. So the the faithful leaders' gifts to the church are going to keep that gospel of love and truth in front of God's people, and it's going to help us mature, and it's going to bring us into relationship with Jesus, a relationship of love and truth. He came to us full of grace and truth, and we beheld His glory. That's what we're, we're told as we receive this message of the gospel. And then we need to hear God's love and truth, not only from, from the shepherds and the leaders that God puts in our lives, but also from the, the other member ministers that He surrounds us with, from one another. Because it's not just the job of the leaders to share the gospel. We're supposed to equip the saints, equip the members to be ministers of that very same gospel so that we are all gospeling each other. We're all truthing each other in love. We're all reminding one another that, okay, the truth is we're sinners, but we're also loved. Let's let's be honest about our sin, but let's rejoice in how much we're loved. And how can you do that with one another unless, I mean, the obvious implication here is that you are connected. This picture of maturity means that you are a part of a body. You're a functioning member. You're you're necessary. You're plugged in. You're tied in and connected. So we're we're called to remind each other of God's loving truth. And brothers and sisters, teach us how to love by reminding us of this truth and showing us this truth, right? I mean, when you're tied in the community, when, when you can't help but rub shoulders with other brothers and sisters in Christ, when you're, a part, when you're really, really a part of a body, guess what happens? You learn how to love truthfully from one another. You learn what forgiveness looks like as people forgive you. <laughs> and you learn how to forgive when people sin against you. I know the church is messy, I know it can be smelly. I know it can be dirty. So is Noah's Ark. You need to be in the ark. And that's where we learn how to love. That's where we learn what love looks like. That's where we learn what patience and grace uh, and bearing one another's burdens looks like. That's what maturity looks like. You've got to be in the body to be mature. And you can't be mature apart from being connected to the body. Uh, Clyde Snodgrass, one of the commentators I've been reading, says we cannot be mature Christians by ourselves. Does that make sense? So we've got to be connected as a body. And and you see this really very um, explicitly in verse 16. So we've talked about God gives leaders uh, to equip the saints for ministry, to equip the saints for maturity, and then here... Uh, to grow. Look at verse 16. The whole body, joined and held together uh, by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, 
makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, You cannot do Christianity uh, and be mature. By by any definition of maturity, you can't be mature unless you're connected, right? Isn't that what verse 16 is telling us very plainly? If you, you, you aren't mature if you're not connected, and you can't be mature unless you, you are connected. So if part of a body isn't working properly, you see that in verse 15, the assumption is that each part is working properly. Uh, we've got a term for that condition. Like if a part of the body isn't working properly, we, we call it something. We call it sickness. Like if an eye isn't working properly, we call it blindness. Uh, if an ear isn't working properly, we call it deafness. If your hair isn't working properly, we call it baldness. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Um, the assumption when it comes to mature Christianity is that you are connected and that you are playing your part. Each part is working properly. So what is your ministry? I don't doubt that each person in here wants to be mature. You want to grow up. You don't want to be that one who's failing to thrive or uh, failing to launch, right? You don't want to be that guy, that girl. So we can assume, right, that everybody here wants to live up to your potential as a disciple of Jesus, If you're going to do that, you have to have a ministry. You have to be connected and you are, each part is working properly and making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How are you helping the body grow? What is your ministry and what part do you play in the body? And the overall health and maturity and functioning of this congregation even, or if you're a guest with us this morning, some other congregation that you're plugged into. Or if you're new, if you're new to the Bible or new to church or just trying to explore what, is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What is Christianity? These are the questions I was asking as a college freshman, and we're glad you're here. This is really important for you to hear because we don't do Christianity in isolation. We've got to do it together. The expectation from the Bible, the expectation from Jesus is that we would work together toward this. So if you're like sort of stumbling over this question, I don't know what my part is. I haven't figured it out yet or it just seems hard to to nail it down. Uh, I want to help you. I don't want to leave you frustrated. This card is a great place to start. If you're a guest, you got this card in your gift bag. Uh, if it's been a while since you've seen this card, if it's been a while since you've been a guest, you can pick one up in the foyer. And on one side it says, you know, hey, new here, here's how you can get connected at Tabernacle. And it tells you a lot of different ministry options that you can plug into. On the other side it says, want to serve? Here's how you can help out on Sundays. Really easy. You're already here on Sunday. You can capitalize on, on your time by helping us do ministry on Sunday mornings. Uh, and this is a place to start. And if, and if this still isn't um, sufficient for you, then you can t- talk to me or talk to one of the officers or talk to somebody that you know here um, who's in leadership and we'll get you plugged in. Here's how important it is. Here's why it matters. I mean, all right, biblically, theologically, we get it. It matters. Here's how it works itself out in real time. I got this email this morning. And this is from Les Herman. A bunch of you know Les. Amy knows Les. 
All right, so uh, Les writes from Lithuania. <laughs> Essen, Kyle, uh, I've been away from home a good bit lately and working very hard on my current work assignment. Often, business travel is viewed as a glamorous thing, but there is a hard and lonely side of it, particularly when gone from family and friends for weeks at a time. You know, if you're a OTR, you know, truck driver, you know what this is like. Um, uh, Les works for Hollister, a uh, medical manufacturing uh, place, and um, works with Brian, and uh, they're building a plant over in Lithuania. So that's where Les is. He says the weekends can be very hard, especially when you are working around the clock. Burnout, loneliness is a real struggle. Les continues, this morning while working, I listened to all the sermons I've missed from you and Kyle over the last couple of months. That's a lot of sermons, by the way. Um, I cannot express how much these have meant to me today. It is amazing that we have so many people behind the scenes in TAB who keep our website current, help to reach the extended flock. We can't physically be there in person. I'll add, you know, they're up in the AV booth. Good job, guys, ladies, gentlemen. Uh, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that most of us don't even know anything about. All that it takes to help reach you know, and bless the saints. Uh, Les says they're doing great work in this capacity. Please, please, please let them know how much their efforts are appreciated. Through these efforts, Tab is reaching me halfway around the world, and it helps inspire me to reach others and share the gospel. So, you know, that's just one small part. Hit and record, you know, up there in the AV booth to bless Les. Uh, you're serving in the nursery or children's church or being a greeter, part of the welcome ministry, or preparing coffee, or helping with hospitality, helping you know, put together our Reformation Party Day. All these are ways that we bless each other and help this congregation grow and mature and learn how to love one another. It all matters. So find, find your place. Ultimately, you know, we, we're going to need more ministers. If we're going to keep being equipped for ministry, if we're going to keep equipping every member to be a minister, and if we're going to keep equipping every member to be mature, uh, then we're going to need more ministry, more leaders, more members. You know, it needs to grow if it's going to, if it's going to expand. Uh, John Stott puts it this way, the New Testament concept of the pastor is not of a person who jealously guards all ministry in his own hands and successfully squashes all lay initiatives, but of one who helps and encourages all God's people to discover, develop, and exercise their gifts. His teaching and training are directed to this end to enable the people of God to be a servant people, ministering people, deaconing people, ministering actively but humbly according to their gifts in a world of alienation and pain. Thus, instead of monopolizing all ministry himself, he actually multiplies ministry. So we want to multiply leaders. We want to multiply member ministers. And ultimately, we want to continue to see disciples multiplied and congregations multiplied so that more ministry happens. How do we know if something's healthy? How do we know if it's thriving? Well, it grows. It matures. It even multiplies. Those are the measurements, and just by, by any standard, 
you're going to see growth, you're going to see maturity, you're going to see even reproduction. So we're seeking to be a body that's going to grow and mature and even multiply continually. So after we're done uh, with this worship service, let me just let you know briefly what's up. Uh, We're going to take a little break, maybe 10 or 15 minutes, and we're going to be back in here at 1130. Uh, You can use that break to uh, go collect your kids from nursery or from children's church. You can get a cup of coffee, take a bathroom break, and, and come be back in here at 1130 sharp, okay? Because that's where we're going to start our vision meeting. Um, and at, at the vision meeting, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, talk to you about our shepherding strategy for the new year in 2019, what's, what we're going to do to so just take it the next step. You know, we've, we've been blessed to have wonderful shepherding over the past almost 17 years of our church, but as we continue to grow, we need to adapt and, and make sure that we're doing our best as leaders to equip the saints. Uh, and so that means that we want our leadership model to be more relational. Um, we want it to be more intentional. We want it to be uh, more accessible. We want you to have more contact with your leaders. So I want, you to, I want to ask you as we, as we close the, the sermon down, I want to ask you to just be praying uh, for your leaders. Pray for your elders. Pray for your deacons. Pray for those who are leading maybe your home group or your Bible study or your discipleship class, whatever, be, be praying uh, for, for these people. Whether they're ordained or not, pray for our growth in Christ, our growth in Christ and His gospel. Pray for wisdom uh, as we lead in various you know, capacities. I want you to pray that God would grow and multiply more elders and deacons. We need more elders and deacons at Tabernacle uh, because we've got more members to equip for ministry. And so we need to pray not only for more leaders, but we need to pray for more members to take that mantle of ministry on, to say, yeah, I've been called to be a healthy, functioning part of this body, to where everybody who calls Tabernacle home would know this is my, this is my fit, this is where I belong, this is where I'm serving, and this is where I'm blessing the body. So pray that more and more people would have that understanding and, and um, can grow in that capacity. Ultimately, we want to have more member ministers because they're the ones, as, we, as I said, as we leave here, as we hear that benediction, as we're blessed and commissioned to go out into the world as those who love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we, we can't maturely do that. We can't effectively do that uh, unless we're trained. And then we can't see new men, new women, new boys and girls come in and become new followers of Jesus without a robust, healthy you know, army of member ministers. So we're going to keep praying that God would grow um, us as a leadership, as a membership, and ultimately multiply us uh, individually and corporately. Um, I mentioned 500 years ago, the Protestant Reformation. You know, it was too big, right, to, to call it a revival. It was this Reformation and really how it began was just faithful shepherds of their flocks started preaching God's truth in love. And the result of keeping the gospel in front of people led to maturity among the members who all took it upon themselves. Look, I have been called by Jesus to be a minister, little m, you know, maybe not capital M, but, but certainly a minister. And then those mature member ministers went out and they started reaching their neighbors. They started reaching their nations. And that became this incredible revival. 
And then that revival, uh, this, this grassroots you know, growth in the church and in maturity led to this ongoing multiplication that became a movement, a reformation that changed nations, changed the world as, as we knew it 500 years ago. And uh, goodness knows, this nation and this world could use another reformation. It's going to start in the church, I promise you. That's where it's going to start. And that's on us. That's on you. That's on me as we faithfully follow Jesus. So let's, let's pray that He would bless us toward that now. Jesus, would You help us to follow You and to love You? Uh, thank You for giving us leaders. Each one of us can point to the role that various leaders have had in our, our lives uh, to lead us and to bless us and to equip us. Would You help us be faithful in the ministries that You've called us to, to to bless the body and to help the body to grow and function in a healthy way. Uh, Lord, would You help uh, us to love well and to, to, to speak truthfully to one another so that we can all grow in grace, so that we can all see and experience more of Jesus. And would You send us out? Would You help us understand our role as those who are sent, member ministers, uh, to reach the lost and to reach our neighbors and to grow the church and even to multiply the church. Not just simply so that we can have big churches or more churches or whatever, but really we want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will be done. We want to see things set right. We want to see the crooked things straightened out. We want to see the valleys filled in. We want to see the curse removed and blessing uh, unfold. We want to see the reign of Jesus more and more. We want to see tears dried up and, and death flee and pain no more. We want to see more laughter. We want to see more reconciliation. We want to see more peace. Lord, would you get glory in your people? Would the world notice and be drawn to and be attracted to the God and King who we serve and whose name 